0: Mad Max Minute where everything's under control, situation normal. We had a slight weapons malfunction, but um, everything's perfectly fine. All right. Now, we're fine. We're all fine here. Now, in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 79, which begins with Pig Killer happy to be seeing Max again. And it ends with Max closing a pair of heavy doors to hold up his pursuers. Joining us this week are the godfathers of the Movies by Minutes genre, Pete the Retailer, and Comic Book Alex from the Star Wars Minute.
1: Hello there. Hi. Hello. Oh, wait, should I have said General Kenobi when you said hello there? Damn. Yeah, can we start over? All right. (laughs) Let's start right, over. big old rewind. <laughs> How you doing?
0: <laughs> what does a gangster General Grievous say when a gangster Obi-Wan drops down and says that?
1: Oh boy, is this a riddle? Yeah, but is this a riddle or is this a genuine question?
0: <laughs> I'm, prompting, I'm prompting a response.
1: Sorry, I thought we were done with the prequels. Let's see what's going on.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, you're never done with the prequels.
2: <laughs> we may be done with them. They're not done with us. All right.
0: <laughs> you keep trying to get out and they keep pulling you right Let's back in. That's not the right show. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, it's good to finally get you both on the show. We tapped Alex for the first movie. He was there when we had our big climactic run-in between Toe Cutter and the truck. And <laughs> we missed you guys completely for Road Warrior, which is a crying shame.
2: Yeah, my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> well, second favorite one. Now that Fury Road is probably the first number one.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. I think it was a more of a scheduling thing more than anything.
1: Oh, yeah. As you guys well know, these things can be impossible to schedule and once you're locked in it's it kind of it dominates everything uh mm-hmm. until you're done. We don't take it
0: personally. Oh,
3: absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, knowing how many spreadsheets I have and how ironclad they can get, it's uh a little daunting trying to work everything out into proper pattern.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But as you said, you two have gone through the entirety of the original trilogy, the entirety of the prequel trilogy, and now we're in hiatus awaiting the triumphant return for the new movies. But here in the meantime, we've got a little bit of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome to talk about. Indeed. So we start off this minute with Pig Killer. He leaps down from the generator train and he approaches Max and the kids and he's got just this look on his face of delight. Or at least I would interpret it as delight.
1: It seems to be. The, the, the music certainly seems to be telling you this, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the happy waiting ones music. Yeah,
1: it's like jaunty, like, dee, dee, dee. it's almost like nautical. <laughs> when I first uh,
2: just clicked on the minute and it started with that music, I assumed that this was some kind of like, uh, like someone else had put that music in like Yakety sacks or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I was like, oh, this is a part of the real movie. Weird.
3: Yeah, something this light and happy feels a bit Mm -hmm. out of place in a Mad Max movie. But that's what the Waiting Ones bring to the movie, is a sense of childlike wonder and hope for the future. Hmm. I'll buy it. Yeah, which is very optimistic.
0: Yeah. One person that you really don't think of when you use the phrase optimistic, though, is, of course, Max. He's very much a realist and as we switch perspectives to look at him, he's got this look on his face that I feel like I've worn many times before. It's that look where you're being approached by someone who is obviously more excited to see you than you are to see them. And I feel like I can sympathize. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Totally. We've been, uh, especially if you know, maybe it's like at a party, something like that. You know, maybe these guys are, picture picture these guys, just transpose them into a cocktail party or something scenario. Like, cocktail party. It's like, oh, hey man. And you're like, <laughs> hi.
3: <laughs> From Pig Killer's perspective, this is the first time that he's realized that Max is part of this gaggle of children, right? Mm-hmm. So, previously, when Pig Killer and Max were together, Pig Killer asked Max, Who are you? And he said something like, I can feel that something is changing, and I feel that you are going to be the cause of it. And now, I think part of this grin is he feels vindicated. Like, I was right. (laughs) You are in the middle of this.
0: Pig killer can pull out his little chalkboard and just put a tally mark in the pig killer side of the chalkboard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Point for me.
3: (laughs) Probably the only point. One to nothing. He's a slave for life, so I think everybody else has a lot more hash marks than he does. Mm
0: Mm-hmm right is it for life
2: do you you, you don't think they have like some kind of retirement package or something
0: well I mean life down there is maybe two three years max so yeah he was
3: sentenced to life
0: mad max got it (laughs) (laughs) how long that life lasts is completely up to him (laughs) <laughs> and the oh, just abysmal conditions that he's living in.
2: But if you can last like fifteen or twenty years in that condition, I think they should let you free after that point. Like if you sur- if you are tough enough to get, well, maybe that's the last people you want setting free is people who are tough enough to survive fifteen years in a, a post
1: post apocalyptic prison. Maybe there's like a like a corporate ladder kind of thing. Hmm, That's probably it. Maybe he can like after like a while he gets a raise, he gets a gets a new kind of supervisory position. Yeah,
0: I would certainly hope there's a corporate ladder in underworld. Mm-hmm. But if you can survive five to ten years of that, maybe instead of getting a crystal paperweight or a nice watch for those anniversaries, they say, hey, you know what? You've been down here so long. Maybe we'll let you walk around here without the chains. Or maybe we'll give you a softer slavery collar. Yeah. Or maybe we'll give you a couple of slaves to boss around of your own so you can be middle management.
1: Right. That's the key. Or new gloves or something. Yeah. You're making this sound pretty good. What are the hours? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think, uh, what is it, 24 7? Hmm, okay. Oh, minus time for Thunderdome fights.
1: Oh, of course.
3: Yes. Right.
2: Are those obligatory? They,
3: yes. They don't. I think or does so. it look
2: bad if you don't show up? Do they like, oh, Jenkins didn't come to the Thunderdome today? Hmm,
0: hmm. I feel like it's akin to a corporate softball game. Like, if you're the shortstop for the accounting department and you don't show up and they lose to shipping... I mean, granted, shipping spends all day lifting boxes and moving packages around, so they're naturally more athletic. But you know what I'm trying to say. Right. You got to support your district.
3: And if you're looking to climb the corporate ladder, you have to show up to that stuff. Yeah. I never go to my work events, but now that I'm, like, lower management... I just It just occurred to me the other day, now I have to go to the Christmas party.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
3: expected of me.
0: You know what that makes me think of?
3: That you have to go to my work Christmas party?
0: Well, <laughs> that wasn't my line of thinking, but now that you bring it up, that's something I realized. But when we first were spying on Underworld, when Max was up in the penthouse with the Auntie looking through the periscope, doing his, you know, submarine captain thing, there was an assistant that went over and tugged on Master Blaster's backpack to show him that someone was looking through the periscope. That is probably the underworld version of... Sucking up to the boss, being like, "Hey, boss, we're getting spied on. I, I let you know that." Yeah,
3: that's probably how they got to be middle management, right? It's By sucking up to the boss
0: mm. and snitching. <laughs> In underworld, snitches don't get stitches; they get promoted. Yeah, right. The rhyme really doesn't work.
1: <laughs> they get—I uh, don't know. Yeah, something that <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way that stitches could be like a good thing. They get like you know, like a like a like a like a badge or something stitched onto their little. Uh, rag of yeah. a jerkin yeah. there you
3: go yeah I like it
1: rag of a jerkin mm-hmm. rag of a jerkin the bounty hunter
0: <laughs> snitches get switches to better positions
1: there you go well you can always change the first word too don't
2: make it snitches make it oh yeah you know, right. like uh, rats or uh, tattletales get right that's well, even harder battle <laughs> fails battle pails, <laughs> well see
0: now Something you're just like altering that. the deal <laughs>
3: you can alter the deal as long as you don't break the deal
2: Hmm. that's true you can shake it don't break it
1: don't bust the deal
0: if you could transpose anything from the mad max universe into the star wars universe i would put a broken deal wheel in cloud city that way in empire strikes back when vader starts altering the deal lando can be like um you broke a deal buddy you gotta spin the wheel and then vader can Mm. get tied up put on a space horse have a space mannequin head put on his thing and sent out into the desert
1: Mm. because
0: that is something that would totally be allowed to happen
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, he was bound to respect the the rules of cloud city he couldn't be like hey (laughs) you know oh well
3: (laughs) <laughs> right, because if he gets right. sent out into the desert with all that sand...
1: Oh, right, he'd hate that, yeah.
3: He's going to be particularly it's unhappy. It's the worst.
1: <laughs> no, it's wait, everywhere. <laughs> Alex, wasn't The Wheel the kind of proto-Cloud uh, City from the Marvel Comics? It was. There was a space casino called
2: The Wheel... Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess there is a time. That would have been before Mad Max, uh,
1: this movie, so, uh... Right. So, these, they, the Star Wars comics influenced both Empire Strikes Back and Beyond Thunderdome. Is that, that's what you're saying?
0: There's a lot of Star Wars influence in this
1: episode, specifically.
3: <laughs> yes, there is!
2: <laughs> the whole movie kind of reminds me of Temple of Doom, in a way.
1: Yeah. It seems very, like, 80s, Temple of Doom kind of a movie to me. Right. We have to go into a, a dark place and save the children.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of big, obviously shot-in-a-studio set pieces. Mm-hmm. That kind of a
3: thing.
0: You know, I never drew that comparison, and I'm a little disappointed in Tom and Jerry and Christy that they never brought it up when they were on. Mm-hmm. They're too close to it. Oh.
3: Yeah, most of the time we compare it to Crusade.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, did they talk all about Star
0: Wars? Then we'll just talk all about Double um, <laughs> Like
1: they kept comparing it to Empire or something.
0: That's a good trade-off, I think. <laughs> but moving on to someone who is definitely in a better mood compared to (laughs) those that are slaves and break deals and everything like that. We cut from Max and Pig Killer over to the Blackfinger, who is more or less just meandering along, and as the Waiting Ones music fades out we realize that Blackfinger is singing to himself. And I had the darndest time just sitting here watching the movie. I recognized the tune, but I couldn't make out the lyrics. And I was sitting there listening and listening and listening. And I share an office at work with the choir director for the college. Mm -hmm. And I said, come over here and listen to this. Tell me what it is. And she's like, well, he's singing in French. It could be the Marseillaise." And I said, oh, wait, there's no way that that's the Marseillaise." So... Julia has the novelization and it says black and white, exactly what it is in the novelization. And so I'm messaging her and she's like, oh, well, I'll just check it when we get home. And I said, okay, but I want to know now. (laughs) And I ended up going on Facebook. I have two really good sources I check with. There's Shem Herman, who we had on the show. And then there's another guy who I consider an expert, Melvin Zed. And he is french he would know exactly who it is and he's like oh dude it's Bizet's carmen he's singing oh, toreador there you go yeah oh yeah and then i listen to it and i'm like of oh, course he's singing toreador
3: okay i want all three of you did you really recognize the name of that piece i
0: recognized the tune but i didn't know the name really is that built
1: in before it goes back into the chorus part like where yeah yeah totally it it rang a bell when I heard it and I couldn't think I also thought Marseillaise but for a second but then I was like I don't know these guys will know I'm sure and I'm like, there you go it was a whole research project that
0: unearthed it because <laughs> okay. he's walking in he's like toriadoratoriador and then um
2: yeah so that was uh, on those the Simpsons
0: was, they they did that
2: big joke about that song because
0: right. it goes toriador mm-hmm. on garde tori toriador toriador and then he goes a bien oui on combatant but he doesn't get to say the ton on combat he gets cut off because of hmm. you know who is in standing in front of him but he pronounces it weird where the middle of combatant sounds like compact pluck or something like that is really <laughs> throwing me off
3: i actually really like that first of all this whole being able to recognize this music thing makes me feel very uneducated cuz i had absolutely no idea what the <laughs> tune was Even knowing what the name of the piece was or who wrote it completely still way over my head. So I feel like I need to go educate myself on classical music.
2: It's technically opera, not classical music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, Alex says...
3: Anyways, I like that there's a word that he pronounces weird, maybe a little bit silly, because when you're singing to yourself, you do that. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Fudge lyrics.
0: How many French operas do you know every single word to exactly as it appears in the opera?
2: <laughs> Can't be more it's than true. like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At most. <laughs> So do you think that means, uh, like, how did this character hear this music? How did this character learn this song? It doesn't strike me like he went to the conservatory
0: or anything. Right. Mm. He's a mechanic. And you can assume if you were a mechanic after the collapse of civilization and the onset of the apocalypse, you Mm -hmm. were probably a mechanic before the apocalypse. And (laughs) I know that there are going to be people that say, oh, what do you mean that mechanics can't listen to French opera? I'm not saying they can't.
1: Well, although if he, let's say it's after the apocalypse, to listen to music, most people are probably relying on like old, like hand-cranked, like Victrola-style record players, if anything. Mm -hmm. Or it's just the oral tradition. Well, yeah. Um, so you think there are people outperforming this?
2: Well, maybe places? just some, maybe like, uh, some people
1: just, like a group of them just learned like one bit of it, and then, right. you know, that would, uh, <laughs> that well, would... That's uh, where yeah. the, that's where the different, uh, words come in. He, right. He was misheard and retranslated and game of telephone. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I was going to say maybe since he's a mechanic, he was able to find and repair a, a Victrola, and then he's ah. kind of, his musical library is kind of limited to things that were popular in like the 40s and earlier. Ah, I get it. That's nice. He listens to Mary Had a Little Lamb by
2: Thomas Edison. Yeah, <laughs> that, that hit single. I
3: wonder if you see an apocalypse coming.
1: <laughs> if. If.
3: <laughs> which the scenario in this story, I think they really kind of did see the apocalypse coming. Uh-huh. How would you treat our culture to preserve it? Like people who are interested and care about, let's say French operas, would they take steps to preserve it physically in various different ways so that however the apocalypse really does happen that it would be preserved Mm. and i guess that's work that should already be happening like way ahead of time Uh, yeah (laughs) so do people have access to this stuff in an analog manner do they have access to the sheet music right or are there lots of people who went out and purposely memorized these pieces knowing that they would never be able to hear recordings of it again.
2: I would say it's probably more like that. Because even if they save sheet music, like you have to be able to read music to be able yeah. to <laughs> perform it. I guess, like, analog records are probably your best bet, because that seems like the technology that would be the easiest to recreate. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why they put a record on that Voyager probe, is so that, theoretically, aliens could find it and figure out how to... Why they would know even anything was on there, I don't know, but...
1: uh, Right.
0: (laughs) As long as it's well-maintained... Right. Those things will last for a long time, and... Long time. It makes sense that he would have something like that, because... Goods and items are constantly streaming into Barter Town.
3: And it's interesting that you bring up the Voyager record, because if I'm not mistaken, the Voyager record has on the case mathematical instructions on how to make something that would play the record. Hmm, that Probably would make Probably a sense. very basic uh, record player. Right, yeah. Probably very simple that can be described mathematically, and I don't see why we couldn't do the same thing.
1: Mm. like yeah they're like these like this is sound waves put a cone here yeah like that that, those kind of instructions like really basic just kind of yeah i i i would love to see that uh i guess that's a whole nother it's it's the fun of uh of post-apocalypse is that you can kind of pick and choose although then also like culturally then you you get to uh kind of you know dictate what uh what survives and what you know what doesn't yeah So you could be like, oh, well, yeah, there was this amazing show called The Simpsons. They only did 10 seasons. It was amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or you could sit down a bunch of kids in a room and be like, oh, I'm going to tell you this wholly original story that I invented. And I'm (laughs) telling it for the first time about a wizard who uses a sword and he fights a guy in a black set of armor and he's secretly his father type of thing
2: right <laughs> i definitely think that once the apocalypse comes that star wars will make that leap into being a proper actual religion you know what i mean i think once in, <laughs> once there's no such thing oh, yeah. as owning ideas like once we're all live, once there's no trademarks anymore and everyone can do their own star wars then then that's when star wars will become the uh, uh religion right. more
0: so than people already say it is yeah So you think we should
2: we should start prepping
0: now? I thought that's what
2: we've been doing with our podcast for all. (laughs) No, start.
0: It might be a good idea to take some of those DVDs and Blu-rays and just transferring them to film, so that way you can run an old timey projector. (laughs) <laughs> and have those in the apocalypse
2: i would rather have star wars be completely forgotten than have the d- special editions be the chain the ones that live on
3: <laughs> 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 mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know neil young uh neil young does not uh he thinks that digital everything digital is eventually going to become erased so he records all his stuff analog because he's like you know once the uh, once the apocalypse comes, then there's gonna be no way to recover, like, stuff from the cloud or, or you know, digital... I mean, here's a floppy disk with all my music on it, you know? So... Right. I wonder if he still does
1: that. Well, he had his own, like, digital yeah. thing a little while ago. I mean, I'm sure it started, you know, analog, but he made his own kind of, like, digital yeah. music player and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So I wonder if he knows. eventually caved in like the rest of us. Yeah. But then he'll be... then. So then, once the apocalypse comes, we're only gonna listen <laughs> to Neil <laughs> Young. Neil Young, so. Thomas Edison, and uh, <laughs> Bizet's Carmen and Bizet <laughs> yeah
0: so just as a bit of a history lesson Carmen is an opera in four acts by the French composer Georges Bizet based on a novella of the same title by Prosper Merime. the opera was first performed at the Opera Comique in Paris in March 3rd 1875 where its breaking of conventions shocked and scandalized its first audiences After the premiere, most reviews were critical, and the French public was generally indifferent. Amidst this, Bizet actually died suddenly. It was after the 33rd performance on June 3rd, 1875. So he didn't get to live to see it become internationally Mm -hmm. renowned. So it initially gained its reputation through a series of productions outside of France, and then it was revived in Paris in 1883. Thereafter, it rapidly acquired popularity at home and abroad, and Carmen has since become one of the most popular and frequently performed operas in the classical canon. Hmm. Two of its numbers, the Habanera from Act 1 and the Toreador Song from Act 2, are among the best known of all operatic arias, which is why I knew the tune, but not the name. Makes sense. Right. Okay. So <laughs> the opera itself is written in the genre of opera comique with musical numbers separated by dialogue. It's set in southern Spain and tells the story of the downfall of Don Jose, a naive soldier who is seduced by the wiles of the fiery gypsy Carmen. Jose abandons his childhood sweetheart and deserts from his military duties, yet loses Carmen's love to the glamorous matador Escamillo, who sings the Toreador song, after which Jose kills her in a jealous rage because misogyny, the depictions of proletariat life, immorality, and lawlessness, and the tragic death of the main character on stage broke new ground in French opera and were highly controversial.
2: Do hmm. so you think there's any significance to that being the, so- the song that he's singing? Perhaps.
3: I think it's an earworm.
0: It's just a catchy tune. Yeah.
3: I think it's catchy and he's got it stuck in it his head. It is
0: really catchy. The whole idea of the Toreador song, as far as I've come to interpret it, I've said it once before, I'll say it many times, I'm not a music critic. <laughs> I am barely a movie critic. But the Toreador song strikes me as a fun little ditty. It's sung by Escamillo as he enters this tavern and he's toasting all of the people there and talking about drinking with them and the life that he lives as a matador. It's very light. (laughs) (laughs) But also, yeah, it's an earworm. Like opera exactly so as i mentioned before blackfinger is singing the song he's walking through the pigs he's got this wrench carefree fancy not even worrying about the world and then he stops suddenly and he sees this group of strangers and there's a definitive split in reaction between max pig killer and the kids because the three little ones off to the side tubba anna and skyfish they're all smiles I don't think they've ever heard someone sing like this before, whereas all of the older people in the group, Screw Loose included, they're a bit more cagey about this new arrival.
1: Mm-hmm. Wait, did you did you think that that has something to do with the singing or is that, are they scared or they're like, what is that sound coming out of his head?
0: I think the children are delighted right. by this talent on display and Pig Killer and Max are the ones that truly understand the implication of the Blackfinger walking in on this situation. And their fears are well-founded because Blackfinger looks down, sees that Iron Bar and the other guard are just knocked out on the ground. He looks back at them and he says, hi, and then runs away because if they took out this guard and Iron Bar. Blackfinger's not a fighter. He's not going to stick around in this situation. He's going to get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. Hmm.
3: Do you think Blackfinger recognizes Max? He's had a makeover since the last time he was there, Mm -hmm. so it's possible he doesn't. But if he does, then he's had experience with Max and knows that Max is trouble. It's true. And Max knows that Blackfinger is loyal to uh, the establishment.
1: Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't recognize him, he could just be like, well, now here's another guy who just kind of just showed up over here.
0: I have a feeling that Blackfinger recognizes Max as the guy who disabled the dynamite and is the man who owned the vehicle. Because Blackfinger was there for the disarming scene, for the alarm for Max confronting Master Blaster during the party. So Blackfinger has had a lot of experience with Max. Yeah, he's got a haircut. Right. And he might look different than he did before, but I still think that Blackfinger would be able to recognize Max as the guy who was sent to Gulag.
3: Mm, Yes. (laughs) And certainly as somebody who does not belong there. Mm. That plus the guards laying on the ground, certainly something to be concerned about.
0: Yeah. So Blackfinger books it. He gets the heck out of Dodge, and Max gives chase. He pushes past Savannah, and they both go running through this little hallway. And Max just has a hell of a time getting through these pigs. I mean, both of them do. It's not even an easy way to traverse. And the fun thought experiment. Julia, I want mm-hmm. you to give me, without thinking, the first thing that comes to your head when I ask you, what is the first thing that you would hate to have to chase someone through? Thing or substance?
3: Mud. Really?
0: Alex, what about you?
2: I guess I would say, um, like six feet of poop.
1: Or like, just like, you know, like uh,
2: like raw sewage or something like that. <laughs>
0: Pete, what would you hate to chase someone through?
1: I'm trying to think. I think I'm going to go something stickier like honey maybe all
3: right. ooh yeah honey would be awful
1: you get the the kind of uh, you know you get the the slowness of, of it it would be frustrating to try to chase somebody through it and it also kind of ends up all over you and then well, but if uh, you're
2: gonna if you're gonna go for the texture of honey then it should be like mucus or something you know what I mean? Because that would—I would, I would rather walk oh, through honey than I is... would through a swimming pool filled with mucus.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But after a while, the honey would just get like, like it would just really get more to more so you. than the mucus. <laughs> hey, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: Now it's funny that Julia said mud, Pete, you said honey, and Alex, you said excrement. Because my example that I thought of was jello pudding. Oh my gosh!
1: Mm, there you go. It
0: kind of combines all three of those. Wow. <laughs> I think we're all in agreement that we'd hate to wade through something that's viscous and sticky. Well, I just think
2: that
1: room right, right. there must be smell terrible, just being a room full of pigs. So. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: Oh, there. You know, yeah. You know what? What about like um, goldfish? Like not the crackers, the animals. Just like a, like a, like piles and piles of goldfish.
0: Oh.
3: Oh my gosh.
0: It's like you can't even lift your feet up because yeah. you'd step down onto goldfish. <gasps> onto goldfish. Well, they have to be right. dead,
1: right? No. And they'd get, they'd get all slippery and you'd fall into the goldfish oh. and you'd be like, it would be like, like a comedy routine almost where you're just like, you know, running in place trying to get the other guy who's <laughs> ahead of you in a, in, a, in a goldfish mess.
0: I'm glad you mentioned tripping and slipping because one of those pigs gets startled by Max and goes to run but he scooby-doos along the ground and then Poor falls pig. over. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe that's where George Miller got the idea for Babe.
0: Oh, yeah, there you go. There are so many sources in this production of where George Miller could have taken a look at things and said, "You know what? I should make an entire movie all about pigs." <laughs> so he clearly liked it. He, he had it. such a good experience.
1: Yeah, he was like, <laughs> "I had always heard, don't work with the uh, kids or animals," and he put both in this movie. And then he was like, "You know what? I'm going to stick with the animals." <laughs>
0: So as Max is chasing the Blackfinger, Blackfinger gets to this giant set of doors, and he stops for a moment, looks back, makes sure Max is still chasing him, then disappears through that door, and Max chases him through, and they go down a bit of a hallway and turn a corner, and they disappear for about five seconds, and in that five seconds, I can assume that Max... Turns the corner, suddenly finds himself looking at a large room full of other guards. And maybe there's like a TIE fighter in the back and whatnot. And mm-hmm. they turn to start chasing him because they come right back mm-hmm. around that corner. And I had a hard time counting how many guards are chasing Max at this point. But there's a lot. A lot of guards.
3: Yeah. The room seems to be foggy. Is it? Is it steam? From I would all say the, steamy. The hot pigs. <laughs>
0: Or it's steam that's being heated by methane fire Yeah, to run maybe pistons a, a or something. a mix of
3: smoke and steam. Yeah. The airs is really gross down there. I mean, never mind the smell, but just like the air quality in every possible way right. down there is awful.
2: Yeah, it can't be good.
0: <laughs> but the big thing about this shot specifically is that it's incredibly reminiscent. I would call it an homage to Star Wars, the motion picture, and... uh I went and checked. It's been roughly five years or, and this is great because I found a website that tells me like the difference between two dates. Five years or 1,834 days or 262 weeks since you two first discussed the scene where Han Solo chases that stormtrooper, runs into a bunch of other ones and then has to run back Mm -hmm. and tell Chewie to book it.
2: Yeah, it's a famous scene. Oh, wow.
3: So forgive my lack of... Star Wars knowledge. I you. When did that movie come out that had that scene in it?
2: 1977. Oh, It was wow. updated yep. when the
1: special edition came out, but the original one was 77. Right. Yeah, they they that sequence in particular got adjusted to be more. Originally it was just, you know, 3 or 4 guys that he cornered. Um, but the same idea of following some guys and then they turn around and they're like, "Wait a minute, we we can chase you." <laughs>
3: Do you think perhaps more guys were later added because this scene had been recreated a couple of times with more people chasing to greater comedic effect? Do you think um, George Lucas was inspired by that?
2: Specifically from Mad Max, from this movie, you mean?
3: Well, yes, but there are other places where this exact scene plays out. Right. That I can't think of, (laughs) but...
1: I think... If you ask him, he would probably say that it was always his idea to have it be a a much more you know a, a greater number of stormtroopers uh, that i'm he went sure chases. i'm
3: sure it was but he
1: just didn't have the wherewithal of the time you know they <laughs> only had a certain number of costumes and extras available budgetarily so i think it's more uh effective more striking if he's only chasing kind of three or four guys because then it's like it's like it's a mental switch you know he's chasing three or four guys just and then they're like they kind of come to a wall and they're like wait a minute why are we running from this guy when there's more of us and he's just shouting like then they kind of turn around and they chase him back versus in the special edition it's it's you know all of a sudden it's like oh a couple hundred guys am sure that makes sense you know that's more of a it's a it's a less subtle joke yeah and here i i like the i like the kind of subtlety or the allowance here that they let it go kind of off screen breathe for a second and then come back being chased by it. they don't like you know follow him through yeah, I thought it was
2: like really 15 seconds that shot lasts. Where when it, when they start running to when they disappear in the fog to when he comes back, it's 15 seconds. And like you said, about five seconds that you're just looking at a, a, a steam filled room. So uh, right. mm-hmm. yeah, especially in today's ed- today's era of you know quick edits and got to keep people going all the time, it, it really kind of stands out as a uh, patient scene.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's something i really like about george miller's style is that he is not afraid to take his time mm-hmm. and let a scene drag on for effect to bring the point home
1: yeah yeah it's it's been a long time since i've seen uh, any of these uh, other than obviously the the fury road has been the most recent because it was the sodden theater when it was out mm-hmm. but you know the, the the rest of these i haven't seen since you know probably the 80s uh, and <laughs> long time uh, i had forgotten how much kind of style there is to it how much artistry there is to these I, I just kind of thought that there were um you know i thought that most of the most of the creativity was in the kind of setup and the you know the, the design but the actual kind of movie making of it is really impressive uh, I've, I've been noticing a couple of things in here that i'm like oh That's nicely done.
3: Yeah, George Miller does have some really great techniques.
0: Yeah. So as Max runs back, pursued by the guards, he passes once again through those large heavy doors and he stops for a moment and turns so that he can swing these doors shut and luckily for him savannah shows up she helps him get those doors closed and then they start to turn this giant bar to just lock this door closed and at this point the alarms cannot be more activated so many (laughs) guards saw max that there is no way that an alarm isn't being raised so ultimately the black finger won in his goal to alert people of their presence and max has failed the stealth check for this situation, but at least they can put a pause on this pursuit so that they don't get that much further. And speaking of pauses, it seems like a good place to stop for today. We are more or less at the end of the minute. Pete and Alex, where would you like people to go on the internet to find more of you?
2: Uh, well, we uh, do a podcast, like you said, called Star Wars Minute, which you can go to minute. find by going to StarWarsMinute.com. And uh, we also have podcasts we do separately from each other. I do a podcast called Godfather Minute, uh, which is like this, but about the Godfather. And uh, P, why don't you talk about the Devo show? The Devo
1: show. Yeah, I do a, Devo another show, show called ABC Devo, <laughs> where we go uh, alphabetically through all of Devo's songs um, from Fourth Dimension to A Wiggly World.
0: <laughs> have a... Uh... See, I I don't want to make a joke because it feels so obvious, but when has that ever stopped me? So I guess when a podcast comes along, you must subscribe to it. It's clumsy, I know, and not elegant at all, but we are hardly dealing with a more civilized age. No. In this
1: instance. <laughs> Where were you like six months ago when we were starting it? We could have we been saying that all along.
0: <laughs> I'm always here. Right. People just need to approach me for ideas. I keep telling George <laughs> Miller that as we go through these movies, I'm filled with all this gold. And, you know, he didn't come to me in 1984 because I was uh, not born yet. So he gets a pass. I don't know what all these other Hollywood types' excuses, but <laughs> as for us, we'll be coming back on Wednesday. <laughs> Max and Savannah are going to close that door completely and just totally delay the guard so they can retreat to the big room where they find that Pig Killer is going to drive them out of there. Amidst all of this, Auntie is finally brought back into the movie and Iron Bar pops up again to take a swing at Max, which, like most things in Underworld, is a plan that quickly goes to, um, let's see, PG-13, quickly goes to energy, I'll say that much. (laughs) <laughs> so come on back on Wednesday and we'll get it done. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
3: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com, and our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com.
3: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
3: Thank you for joining us for Minute 79 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time.